Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie, and I am very excited to welcome you back to Essential Wisdom this week. Help me welcome Dr. Anne LaCase. Dr. LaCase practices medical oncology at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. She's the director of Dana-Farber Partners Cancer Care Hematology Medical Oncology Fellowship. She's an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and an instructor of medical oncology at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dr. LaCase received her MD from Tufts University and went on to complete residency in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital. She earned her fellowship in hematology and oncology at Dana-Farber Partners Cancer Care. Her academic interests include Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and the study of novel treatment agents. She's also active on the Alliance Lymphoma Core Committee. Dr. LaCase, thank you so much for being here to join us. Welcome to Essential Wisdom. We'll start this episode by asking you to tell us a bit about your path to becoming a female physician. I am originally from Down East Maine. My dad was an internist who um, had trained in Boston and started off in oncology, went before it really was a specific subspecialty. And he worked at the VA in um, Jamaica Plain here in Boston. and they had very few options for patients with cancers and most people died uh, miserable uh, deaths because we didn't have good supportive care either. And I think that he got early burnout and decided he really wanted to have a more community-based um, internal medicine practice. So he moved up to Maine um, and was a, a physician there for many years. And I worked for him over the summers and really admired his, how much he got out of his work and those relationships he had with patients. And um, early on, I was drawn to science and decided I want to go to medical school. So I sort of followed in his footsteps all the way along and uh, went to Bowdoin where everyone in my family went and was pre-med and enjoyed the coursework, um, but also um, sort of fell in love with art history. I you know, needed to fulfill my requirements. And I thought, oh, art, that sounds interesting. I'll try that and really enjoyed it. And around that time, you know, the pre-meds in my class were so intense. And there was a guy who stole my organic chemistry notebook. And I thought, God, do I really want to work with this kind of intense person my whole career? And maybe, maybe the arts would be something I, I should really look at a little bit more. So I got an internship at a a gallery in Boston, just completely randomly in contemporary art. I knew nothing about contemporary art and the gallery um, was on the upswing uh, 
and moved to New York. And so I moved to New York and worked there managing the gallery, which I loved. It's a lot of fun, but sort of after a couple of years, I realized that, um, you know, these competitive political uh, work environment um, existed everywhere. And, you know, those young artists that you would think purely based on talent would, um, you know, become very successful. It, it was much more complicated than that. And I decided I was ready to go back to medical school. So I looked, um, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I was no longer, I, because I didn't go through pre-med at Bowdoin, I didn't have a committee and I um, just sort of actually hadn't taken English uh, in college because one of my high school teachers sort of ruined me on English forever. And um, so I looked at what, what programs don't have an English requirement. So that's what I applied to. And it was sort of willy nilly and I, you know, needed to get letters of recommendation. And one of my letter writers was on sabbatical. So it took a while for that to come through. So I sort of started late and thank God I got into Tufts because um, that was a really good fit for me. They were really um, interested in my having had an unusual path uh, and I just totally loved it there uh, and got interested in Hemonc very early. Um, this woman, there was a hematology course run by a really amazing uh, woman who was a lymphoma specialist and I just thought I want to be like her. And between that and looking at slides of um, pathologic specimens and blood smears. It was very much like art, you know, pattern recognition. And I really, enjoy, I'm very visual. So I thought, all right, this is what I want to do. And got lucky. I worked in a lab and then I ended up at the Brigham where there's a lot of oncology. So, um, and lymphoma just kept rising to the top as the area I wanted to focus on. So I got really lucky. Would you be able to talk on your interests? I, I'd be curious, as a person who's interested in art and visual learning and design, how does research kind of fulfill that for you? So um, I don't know that my research necessarily um, okay. applies directly to the visual. I think being an oncologist um, definitely does because we look at a lot of imaging. I love imaging and looking at um, specimens, you know, for what does the lymphoma look like under the microscope? And that's so much part of how we categorize disease and diagnose disease. So that part I really like visually, but um, my work in trials, clinical trials, is more about um, treating patients with new, new um, therapies or combinations. So it doesn't directly apply there. But mm -hmm. my job every day is very visually oriented and um, and looking at scans and looking yeah. at people's diseases responding. Yeah, that, that's very cool. Um, I would never have thought of that. And I think that that's a really unique aspect to your story. I love that you shared it. Thank you. Oh, sure. Did you have any specific female mentors in the process? You know, I really don't feel like I had much in the way of um, direct mentorship. Um, until I was junior faculty. I had, I had a mentor when I was a fellow and we had to do, you know, we did research and I did not really have a full understanding of where I was going and what I needed to be doing. Um, and the woman that I worked with is great, but she's a laboratory-based um, researcher who's been very successful. 
but she didn't do the kind of work that I wanted to do. So I sort of feel like I um, never really had someone say, okay, here, here's where you want to go. Here are the things that you need to do to get there. I just sort of piecemealed it. And um, I had some very good mentorship along the way, but it was very sort of the whole notion of the mosaic mentorship. And eventually it was really more um, uh, peer mentors who were really helpful to me uh, and not necessarily here, but I met a lot of the women who do, particularly women who do lymphoma nationally through different organizations and meetings and things. And we sort of band together and um, it's been there, you know, bouncing ideas about, you know, applying for things or career sort of goals that um, has been most helpful to me. Um, so I sort of kind of bumbled my way along and got lucky a number of times. And then, you know, this um, to, to be the program director for this um, fellowship program, then opening came up, the guy who ran the program for 35 years and was my program director, who's amazing, but pretty intimidating. And I thought, oh, there's no way anyone would ever choose me for this job. I had been a chief resident at the Brigham and then had done some, um, had been an assistant program director at the Brigham, which basically meant I, I met with some, some of the residents and wrote letters of recommendation, but it wasn't a very intensive um, sort of role. Uh, but this woman actually was the chief of hematology really encouraged me to apply. So, oh, okay, I'll apply. And, you know, I got, again, you know, I think these education jobs are, you know, it's a small subset of people who really want to pursue those. And I wasn't exactly sure what it even entailed, but um, I ended up in the role and it's been really fun and great. And I think I see one of my most important roles um, as program director is to make sure that people understand career development and mentorship, because I think that's critical to getting anywhere in academics. With that being said, would you spend a couple of minutes talking on what your job looks like? How does your time be become partitioned between patient care, academics, and research? So I see patients two days a week, two full days a week in the clinic. Um, and then um, my fellowship role is supposed to be 40% of my time. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have about 50 fellows. Uh, we have the largest HEMOC fellowship program in the country. Um, because we're a joint program with Mass General. So that takes up a lot of my time. And then I also do um, clinical research and that fills in the rest. Um, so I, I work a lot. I work, you know, any of my academic work like writing papers or reviewing things um, or reading, I mostly have to do at home or on the weekend because um, my weeks often are so busy with meetings. Once you are in an, an administrative role, you get tapped into being in meetings. Um, and I think as women, you know, there's a, all committees need women. So you end up getting asked to do a fair bit. Uh, and it's important to figure out what things you can say no to. But um, I kind of like being part of the institutional infrastructure and really knowing what's going on within the Department of uh, Medical Oncology. So I probably don't say no enough. Um, so I work a lot, uh, but I, I love the balance of the different things I do. That's, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Looking at that through the lens of being a woman, what are some of the challenges that you have faced along the way? So, uh, you know, I'm pretty fortunate in that um, 
my husband is has a much more flexible job than I do, so um, he can. He loves to cook, so he does basically all the cooking. I don't like to cook, and I am pretty easy. Um, we have a nanny. My son is just going into eighth grade, and I only have one one son. So, you know, we have a nice small family, which I got a late start uh, in having kids. I had my son when I was 40. Um, so, you know, I think it's all about have, being able to support your work and figure out how to you know, be in a family and, um, you know, spread the work around. And, you know, I, I got lucky. Um, I think the challenges are, you know, trying to feel like you're doing a good job as a parent when you're really busy and, you know, working at home frequently. Mm-hmm. But I think we've, um, you know, we tend to spend a lot of time as a family skiing in the winter. So we'll go away on the weekend. I can work in a car, which is a great thing to be able to do. So <laughs> I can get a ton of work done driving to the mountain or in the summer, we have this little place in Maine. So we go up to Maine a lot. I can get a ton of work done in the car, which is really helpful. <laughs> so I have a pretty unique situation, I think, in that um, I have a lot of support. But, um, you know, I don't have family in the area. Um, so it's mostly just our you know, I think you have to figure out what things are important to you to do and outsource other things. And when you're starting out as junior faculty, sometimes that financially can be a little bit difficult. But, you know, having someone clean your house or, you know, if you don't like cooking, figuring out ways to have food prepared for you, um, you know, these are really important to keep you sane so that when you're home, you can spend the time the way you want. Yeah. And that, that brings me exactly into the next question it's really has to do with how then you set your priorities and decide what you want at each period, I think of your life. And so I tend to just ask like, how do you set your priorities? And if, if you wanted them to be different, how do you wish you set them? You know, I think I'm probably not as deliberate uh, about setting priorities. I think probably the women I know it's, it's similar. I think it's a matter of balancing the things you want to do and you don't necessarily say well this is my I mean of course my son and my family is my number one priority but I don't I don't think of it in that way it's really about how can I juggle these things and figure out how to come up with a a way of getting all the things done I need to do and want to do um, within the time that I'm awake you know so I yeah it's not as deliberate as you would think I you know I like doing all the different things I do and sometimes it becomes clear that I need to say no to something because I won't be able to prioritize the things I want to do, but I probably should be more deliberate, but I'm sort of more about, you know, okay, I can find the niche to get that done and I'll do that. And then I don't know, it's probably not as um, succinct or uh, thoughtful an answer as probably many. Minutes, but, yeah. What are your thoughts on the capability to achieve balance? <laughs> and what is balance? I think balance is different for every person, and um, you sort of have to figure out for yourself what you know what's tolerable and what makes you happy. And um, you know, I think I don't know. It's um, it's a hard question, um, and it's very individual. You know, I think when people come in who are interviewing for 
fellowship and that's the first question they ask, it's, a, it's always a little bit weird because I think, you know, I'm pretty driven to do the work I do and I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And I think you just have to, I don't know how to, you have to figure out what's important to you as an individual. And if that is, all right, I know I want to be home with my kids when they're young, then you pick a career and you structure that career around that priority. And I think that that is definitely feasible for everybody who wants to do it. Um, I think when you are, you know, it, it all depends on what you want to do. I think in my career track, you know, I got the advice, don't work part-time. When I was coming back after I had my son, I had so much fun on maternity leave. You know, I just hanging out. I didn't, you know, I just, it was so much fun being at home. Um, I thought, well, maybe I want to work four days a week. And then somebody, a very senior woman here said uh, at this women in medicine thing, don't do that because what will happen is you will work full time and you will get paid part time. And, you know, in this environment where everybody works really hard, um, you know, you just do your thing. You keep your head down. I think when you need to leave work to go do something that's family related, you just do it. Um, and you don't make a big deal about it. You know, I notice my male colleagues leaving all the time to do family-related or kid-related things, and they don't make excuses. They don't make a big deal about it. They just do it. I think women tend to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I know I do. You know, I feel like if I leave at 5.30, I have to make a comment about why I'm leaving early, you know, and that's just my own mindset, which is ridiculous. Um, so I think it's really, you know, you have to figure out for yourself what's going to work. And, you know, there's some and I think we need to ask, you know, if you're in academic medicine and you want to work part-time, I think you have to think about it and um, ask the question, is there a way to do this? Can I share a job? You know, I think we need to be more open-minded as we move forward about how to structure jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some career paths that it may just not be the right career path if you know, you know, you want to work part-time. There are certain types of jobs where that may be very difficult, though you may be able to do it part-time and then sort of reintegrate. I have friends who are, you know, superstar lymphoma docs who took a slower path to academic promotion early to spend time with their kids. And then once their kids were older, then they really ramped it up. So I think it's feasible, um, but you really have to, you know, not be afraid to ask, um, you know, once you're in a position where you can negotiate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of how women learn skills to negotiate and be apt to do that in their career choices, um, what are your thoughts on like courses or skills classes to, in order to do that? And should that be a part of our medical education? Yeah, I think it's really important to, you know, both, learn leadership skills and um, communication and negotiation skills. Cause I think that it's something that is not innate um, and it's something that can be learned and understanding, you know, how you approach, you know, doing some of these, we have a, a woman here who uh, has human resources and I've had the, been fortunate to work with her on some different issues that have come up and she does the, Strength finders, it's sort of like a, you know, a Myers-Briggs kind of inventory of what are your strengths, but it's really more towards how you work 
in a group. Uh, and I think understanding that about yourself and then figuring out how, how to work on promoting yourself and how to have good communication skills, how to give feedback, how to receive feedback. I think those are all things that in the past, it was just sort of assumed that you just kind of figured out as you went along. But I, I think that people really need formal training in order to, to do it well and formal training and probably practice, you know, these interactive role-playing things that we all hate to do myself at the top of the list but you know when you do them and you're forced to do them it's very obvious that you know it is a learnable skill set and important to learn so I, I do think that needs to be part of the curriculum uh, in med school and and particularly for women yeah definitely if you had a piece of advice for women who are deciding upon their career, either pre-med or medical school, what would it be? So I think it's seek out mentorship um, and career guidance early and don't be afraid to ask people. Um, you know, everyone loves to tell their story. So, you know, asking, starting out like, you know, when you meet with someone who's a potential mentor, ask them their story, see how they got where they are and what were the, you know, pivots along the way. Um, and I think that goes a long way. And then, you know, I think formally asking for mentorship uh, and career advice and then having regular check-ins with people as you go along instead of doing it in a sort of um, organic way. I think having, particularly the further along you get and the more, you know, when, once you start to really start planning your career and your research agenda, I think having regular meetings with you know, at least an informal agenda of the things you want to talk about and having an, a sort of agreement between the mentor and mentee about what you're both going to bring to the table. So if you're working on a project together, okay, I will, as the mentee, I will turn around this in, you know, one month. And as the mentor, you say, okay, when I get something from you, I will get it back to you within a week. And, you know, I think really being very deliberate and, um, uh, upfront about what the expectations are on both sides is really important. But I think mentorship is, is critical. I think almost anyone that you talk to in medicine is going to say that it was a person or persons along the way who really got them interested in a career and really made all that difference in their development. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. The idea that, being in a mentorship relationship is important is I think not enough at this point. And what you're saying is that you have to understand how to have a productive like relationship yeah. with your mentor, right? How to be a good mentee, how to follow up effectively and set goals. And I know that that's come across in a lot of like mentorship literature recently. And I think it's yeah. a really good, important point. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. LaCase, for coming oh, my pleasure. on this. Yes, this was absolutely fabulous conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Thank you again, Dr. LaCase, for coming and sharing your thoughts here at Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. What a great opportunity this was for us to talk about how we can explore the things that we love and allow those to integrate into our career and into our lives in ways that we may not have expected them to. I absolutely loved the chance to talk about your interest in art history and how this continues to develop in your career in hematology and oncology. 
I hope that as listeners out there, you're really enjoying hearing some of these really unique and interesting stories and that this is possibly informing some of the way that you think about your career development and what your passions and interests are. I hope you'll come back and continue to listen with us for the continuation of this podcast season. We have an episode coming up with an internist and then that's followed by cardiology. And we will end out our season with a bringing it all together episode where I'll tell a bit of my story and we will discuss some of the themes that came together throughout this podcast. If you're interested, please check us out online. We have a website, essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. That's essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com, all one word. Please check it out. It has really great images of the quotes and of the women that we've been able to talk with throughout this podcast. And I hope that you'll find that a fruitful spot for you to find out some more information. So thank you again for joining us. We will speak with you again soon. Thank you.